0: Ten and ninety nine three WBT seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten and one eight hundred WBT eleven ten Pete calendar here and you can email me at pete at the dot uh, Also, you can hit me up on Twitter and Getter as well. And I'm on the Facebook. I'm on the Me We on the Parlor uh, on Locals. I'm everywhere. But I really do my best work on Twitter for now until they kick me off, uh, which I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. Um, which, by the way, that was one of the uh, the only criticisms that Mark Hemingway had in his uh, his piece at LawLiberty.org. Uh, this was uh, Headline News for the Elite by Mark Hemingway. And um, it was a book review of Batya Ungar Sargon's book called Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. It covers a lot of different... Uh, territory talks different. Uh, talking about talks about different stories, anecdotes that he found uh, uh, really enlightening and insightful. But he said one of the things that it kind of left short was the uh, the role that big tech plays. And I can tell you this: that um, for years, when Facebook came along, for years they were telling news organizations, "Let us be your distribution platform," and that was a very attractive thing to a lot of the bean counters in uh, corporate media outlets because they could then fire all of the people that they were using for distribution, right? You just turn it all over to Facebook and let the algorithms save you. And then, of course, Facebook, after they make a lot of inroads into these newsrooms and you start changing the entire business model, then Facebook changes its algorithm because people were complaining that, they're seeing too much spam coming from media outlets, right? now, <laughs> And so, and then Facebook is like, we want more authentic conversations. And so then they start pushing your stuff down and then they say down people's timeline. So you don't see it. Then they say, Hey, if you want people to see your stuff, you can pay us. And, uh, you know, we'll push that right up to the top of their feet. They became the distribution platform. So there's that whole side of the equation as well. Um, The woke, or the church of wokeism, right? This is simply the, the convenient manifestation of a shift in class identity. That's what has occurred. And wokeism allows people in the upper class to feign empathy with others without having to actually do anything because think about it right like and this is something that quote-unquote conservatives have said for a while which is look if you know you want to pay extra taxes you can do that just send them more money right look if you want to help other people you just give them more money why don't you give up one of your four houses bernie sanders to can uh, to combat uh climate change right like there are things that people can do oh you're so worried about homelessness how about you you know Put up a bunch of people in your home, right? These are these, these ideas, these responses, yes, are often said tongue-in-cheek and as jokes, but there is a kernel of truth in all of them, which is what makes them so cutting and incisive. I mean, the, you're telling somebody, live by the standard you are setting. This is a thing that I constantly say, right? I support the consistent application of a standard. That's what I am in it for. I want to see that. Okay. And so when you get up there and you're like, we're Democrats, we're for protecting democracy. We want fair maps, pay no attention to New York, by the way, and what they're doing or Maryland and what they're doing. Like, no, sorry. That's not a consistent application, Democrats. So I don't believe you. I don't believe you when you say you want fair maps. Okay. That's the price you pay. You, you lose credibility. So, when the, uh, when the left comes along and says critical race theory and wokeism and all this, like these are the real issues going on. This is why these things exist and equity and inclusion. And like what they're masking is that the problems that exist are problems of class. And while everybody is now focused on an immutable characteristic, namely race, right? We're trying to solve a problem that, like, I can't make somebody who's not white, white, and I can't make somebody who's not black, black. I can't do that. Nobody can, right? Well, okay, yes. Insert your, you know, Michael Jackson joke here. Fine. That's whatever. I, but that, that's, you know, unless you're, unless, okay, yes. Unless you're Rachel all, like, you don't get to become another race, right? This, and so you then argue over these things that are immutable, and uh and just fraught with peril and pitfalls everybody now walks on eggshells whenever they're around each other meanwhile you've got class problems that exist like and they man and you can see you know certain elements of this in in comments like where uh you know they're they're downplaying inflation they still don't seem to get that you know, it's not that inflation is being weaponized and used against you know Uh, president putting like that somehow or another, like that's the only benefit that we see here. And oh, it's really not that bad. Just Republicans are making it sound so much worse. No, like it's, it's bad. It is bad. For example, the stuff going on with the, the car stuff, my wife and I, yes, as luck would have it, Christie's car has like decided to die as we're moving and all this other stuff, but you can't buy a car before you buy a house. That's a terrible mistake. Don't do that. So, We've been putting it off, but now we're like, okay, we have to get a car. And the price, we have never bought a a new car before in our lives. And the prices of used cars are almost as expensive as the new ones. So don't tell me, the price of, uh, and we saw this also a couple weeks ago, right, where uh, some woman was at the grocery store talking about how much milk she buys, and she was mocked and ridiculed by media folks in D.C. and New York because she bought too much milk for their taste. Oh, what's she buying 12 gallons of milk a week for? How dare she? She's got a lot of kids. She uses a lot of milk. The fact that you have no connection to this idea shows your you know, lack of connection to a large portion of the population. It's a class thing. Which, by the way, Is anybody else not shocked that the Black Lives Matter mural is like almost now completely gone off of the road in Uptown Charlotte? Like, seriously, was that a surprise? Who's surprised by this? Like, I see this story uh, over at Fox 46 that Charlotte leaders have no plans to repaint the BLM mural in Uptown. Right. I thought that was the whole point. They're not going to repaint it. But people who are like, oh, I can't believe it's all faded away now. Really? It's paint on a road. Have you seen Paint on a Road? Good. News Talk 1110993 WBT, the Pete calendar Show. By the way, on Saturday, April 9th at 7 30 in the evening, I'm going to be hanging out at Halton Theater at CPCC. And uh, there's a reason why I'll be hanging around there I'll be asking people for money. Out on the sidewalk. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. I'm actually going to be at the WBT 100th anniversary celebration. Tickets are actually on sale now. So, uh, if you don't want to see me out there begging for the money, then join all of us at WBT and the largest group of WBT alumni ever, ever gathered together for one event, including H.A. Thompson, James K. Flynn, John Hancock, Jim Barrel, and more. We are honoring 100 years of WBT history. Uh, Bo Thompson has done amazing work, uh, on the century podcast and interviewing all these great people and being a bridge to the history and the people that made WBT what it is today. Um, and we're actually going to be inducting three new members into the hall of fame, John Zoki, uh, John, John Stokes, Jim Zoki, and Bob Lacey. You would think I'd not worked with all three of them actually. um, John Stokes was the morning guy, he's the morning anchor, and Jim Zoki, obviously everybody knows Jim, the sports uh, director, and he's the uh, you know, color guy for the uh, Carolina Panthers, and Bob Lacey, uh, gosh, he's worked in Charlotte Media for 40 years, 50 years, and uh, from Bob and Sherry show and all that, so uh, it's just going to be a really, uh, it's going to be a really great event, and I'm really looking forward to uh to being a part of it. So it's the WBT 100th anniversary celebration. You can go to WBT.com and uh, get tickets. You can get the details. Mark your calendars now. Saturday, April 9th, Halton Theater at CPCC. We'll see you there. Uh, All right. So the uh, Charlotte City leaders have no plans. (laughs) No plans to repaint the Black Lives Matter street mural in the heart of Uptown, which is... Precisely the kind of performative posturing to assuage elite guilt that the book was talking about. This is an, a this is a perfect example of it. Right in June of 2020, after George Floyd was murdered by the former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, Charlotte was one of more than 50 cities worldwide to paint street BLM murals which when they started doing this I thought why are you painting it on the street what is the purpose of painting it on the street that is not a permanent thing if you want to make a permanent mural why would it why wouldn't you pick a more you know vertical surface one that people don't drive their vehicles on everybody knew you're going to paint this street. It's going to get run over. And then there were, I remember there was like that brief period where people were like, well, we should just close the street. And Some cities did, right? They closed the, the streets down. And then they were like, well, we should just keep it closed forever. And they're like, oh, all right, that's not happening. And then, then you had the news stories when they would open the street back up. And now people are driving on the street. <laughs> makes me feel bad. And now the paint is wearing away. 22 Queen City artists came together and spent more than 12 hours creating the mural. Each artist was responsible for a different letter, creating a vibrant, colorful display. Months later, when South Tryon reopened to full traffic, the mural could not hold up against the wear and tear on the busy street, and now the letters have faded. I am shocked that paint on a road would not last forever, that this was not a a long-term vision. It's really shocking. Terrell DeBrill, he's walking down Tryon. He got interviewed by Queen City News. He said, quote, In the heat of the moment, a lot of people come out and show support, and I'm sure it's seen and appreciated, but that support can't waver. It has to be continuous, which really is a metaphor for the fleeting nature of a moral panic that we, that we saw. I mean, it really is. In the heat of the moment, everybody rushed out to show support. Right. And then they performed the garment, you know, rending and they like ripped the collar. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, and they painted and then they all go away. And then the mural gets run over and the paint fades. But I hope everybody felt good while they were doing it. I hope everybody got to feel just a little bit morally superior to other people because that's really what that was about. In Charlotte, City leaders point to the Corridors of Opportunity Program and the city's financial commitment to the uh, mayor's racial equity initiative, which, much like the Black Lives Matter National Organization, has had a bit of a scandal surrounding its finances, too. But they say these are the evidence, uh, pieces of evidence, that uh, we're taking you know, long-term action and long-term solution. Right? The use of the artist's time and talents to paint on the road. We knew that was always going to be temporary. We were going to just ruin that. But our task force, that's the permanent thing and we're using taxpayer funding for that. We're not going to use people's donated services. It really is quintessential and uh, metaphorical for much of the debate we have in our society at large today. Mm-hmm. Stock 1110993WBT Thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Pete Kelliner here. So San Franciscans, did you hear what they did last night? They tossed the school board members out of their uh, seats. I mean, not physically, electorally speaking. I meant it merely as like, you know, like Peter Strzok talking uh, on the text messages with uh, Lisa Page about how we will stop him. It's more, it's at the ballot box. It wasn't anything we are going to do. So the majority of San Franciscans who voted in Tuesday's special election in support of recalling three school board members with 79 percent voting to oust Allison Collins, 75 percent saying yes to recalling Gabriela Lopez and 72 percent opting to remove. Fauga, Moliga. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. F-A-A-U-U-G-A. Right? Fauga. That's what that is. That's what that says to me. Moliga. Moliga. Anyway, Mayor London Breed will now appoint board replacements to serve until another election. She had supported the recall effort. She released a message in response to the results saying the voters of the city have delivered a clear message that the school board must focus on the essentials of delivering a well-run school system above all else. What kind of crazy right-wingery is that? An example of how the left has abandoned the working class in favor of wokeism because wokeism protects the upper class. And that's who really is driving that narrative. Meanwhile, North Carolina, uh, Governor Roy Cooper is going to get a chance to appoint another member to the North Carolina State Board of Education, Todd Chastine, who is the Northwest Education Region representative. He resigned back in uh, February 1st, um, according to the piece by A.P. Dillon at North State Journal, NSJOnline.com. Chastine was first appointed in July of 2014 by former Governor Pat McCrory. He hails from the Blowing Rock area of the state. He served in a legal counsel capacity for Samaritans Purse, um, and this is uh, that's the uh, charity outreach group formed by Franklin Graham, son of the late, uh, the late the late evangelist Billy Graham. And so now a McCrory appointment gets replaced by a Cooper re- uh, appointment, and there were quite a few folks who were not terribly happy about that pointing out that you're going to get another leftist on there you're going to get some other person that's now going to make it easier to cram down this critical race theory garbage uh into the classrooms um yes that could happen right (laughs) like i said obviously that could happen in fact it might actually be good if it happens that that Roy Cooper replaces this sensible guy from Samaritan's Purse who was very good at articulating the arguments. I played several large chunks of his uh, audio arguments against the uh, social studies and civics um, uh, uh, course material changes that they were doing and uh, last year. And uh, it's, I'm sad to see him go. But you got Cooper now that's going to make a replacement, and if he does pick a prefect from the Church of Wokism, that actually might be good for the next election cycle, or the one after that. Could be good for the current or the next, right? Yeah, it could be. Because if he does pick someone who's, you know off the deep end, and um, honestly, if you're going to get an appointment from Cooper to the education board probably you're going to be a prefect in the Church of Wokeism. So, yeah, I'm thinking you're going to give a lot of ammo to the Republicans. Now, maybe that's me just looking for a silver lining here, but why did he quit? Why did he resign? He says, in full transparency, in February, when the board passed social studies standards by a slim majority, standards that many of us concluded, and thousands of parents agreed, were unproductive, regressive, and unhelpful to the students of this wonderful state, It became more difficult to see where I could add value. The trajectory away from what some of us believed actually helped students, away from education towards activism, became much more likely, if not inevitable. With that trajectory almost certain to follow, unless parents engage on a large scale, it made it evident that it was time to step down as a member of the North Carolina State Board of Education. This letter is my official resignation, effective February one. And thank you for everyone's help and making me a board member, blah, blah, blah. So, look, I don't know. Is that, you know, guy runs from the fight or is that, uh, you know, let Cooper, you know, here's, you know, here's the rope, right? You either make a swing or make a noose, right? Like these are the options. You, you give people enough rope and they will do one of the those two things for themselves. And maybe that's what this play is. Maybe he is just saying that. And there are other reasons too. I don't know. I'm just going by what his letter said, but it's not immediately evident to me why, uh, you look at a situation as, Oh my gosh, this is getting worse and we need parents to engage. And the best way I can do that is to not be a voice for those parents on this board. I don't know why that makes sense. I don't. So I'm going to go with the other explanation that maybe Cooper appoints, you know, a moon bat. And then, uh, it, it, it gets way worse. And then that motivates parents to get more involved and yay victory at the expense of some short-term losses. Cool. Alrighty. News talk 1110 and 99, three WBT last segment here of the program real quick. Uh, and I will be, uh, I'll be coming back tomorrow with more of this, but, um, Time to take the masks off? That's the headline at the Charlotte Observer. Many already have in Mecklenburg with no enforcement. Mecklenburg County Commissioners could vote to end their public mask mandate tonight, lifting the rule after almost six months. Which is interesting. It went into effect in late August, but official enforcement of the mask mandate has been low to non-existent. In other words, theater. It is theater, which it has been. And look, I know the last thing people in media want is for somebody to tell them that they made a mistake. I know that. But you might want to entertain the notion that you might have made a mistake. More than one. But you might have made a mistake on this that... The masks might have been more about theater. And there may have been people that felt the need to wear the masks and then to force other people to wear masks, then maybe the science required. I'm just throwing it out there as a potential thought that you might want to examine. Because what this forces a lot of the people in media to do, and I I did not hear, I heard uh, yesterday Brett Winterbull talking with Brett Jensen. About uh, the press conference that had occurred and the reporters and I didn't know I I wasn't listening to the press conference, but um, the reporters kept asking questions that seemed to give the impression as you can oftentimes detect in these types of situations where a lot of the reporters are basically, you know, calling for more masking mask harder. Why won't you more mask us harder, daddy? Like why like that kind of question, you know? And um and and I heard much the same tone in a lot of the questioning over the last two years at the state level as well, where a lot of the reporters were like, lock us down harder, lock us down more, you know. So maybe take this as an opportunity to examine the inconsistent approach in the standard, right? in this media assumption that the policy was not theater from the beginning because that is what the media assumption was and still is that the, the policy was not theater, that it was necessary. It was needed. It was vital. It was helpful, not harmful, right? The benefits far outweighed the costs, all of that. Try to look at this from the opposite point of view. Take the, skeptics view of this that the policy actually was theater would today's expected decision look any different you've got a board of county commissioners in mecklenburg county that serves as the board of health they are completely unqualified to do so right none of them none of them are qualified as a public health administrator of any kind okay number one number two They pride themselves on following everything that their health experts tell them to do, without question. Which, this is sort of a problem of a national model. This is the benefit of a federalist model when it comes to just general governance, which is that if you have a bunch of states and they all govern themselves differently, you have a very minimal uh, kind of uh, federal government, then one mistake by one state is not replicated across every single state right when you make a mistake at a national level it affects every single state because it's a national mistake does that make sense okay so just following whatever the people in the white coats tell you to do might not necessarily be the great policy option it may not be the best decision okay so you got the but again you've got a county commission that is serving as the board of health and so They know they're not qualified as the Board of Health, but they're basically being asked to make a recommendation to themselves, right? The Board of Health takes the information from the health experts. The Board of Health then says, here's our recommendation. We turn it over to you. And then the county commission is supposed to say, all right, you're recommending X, but now I want to talk to these people over here. They have a different opinion. Let's talk to them, okay? So how about you look at this from the inverse assumption that It wasn't theater because here's the key metric. And this was not my doing. I didn't pick this metric. They did, which was 5% case positive rate over a seven day period, a week, long period. So you got to have a week where the percent positive is 5% of all the people that get tested, 5% are positive. That was their standard. And when we hit seven straight days of 5%, then the mask mandate would go away. They set that metric, not me. Now they're going to remove the mask mandate while not hitting that metric why what changed the politics changed that's it there's nothing else oh well yeah our numbers are lower it doesn't matter guys you set that metric why are you now saying that metric that we've all been living under and you've been holding it over our heads and making us feel like we are like these animals these unethical beasts for wanting to take the masks off particularly the children but no no now you're going to do it and it's all okay Yeah, so no, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not believing that this is due to the science and data. No, it's, it's the political science. All right, let me get Jim on real quick. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the show. What's up? Hello, Jim. Hang on a second, Jim. Do we have his audio potted up? Hmm. Very interesting. Because like you don't hear him either, right? I don't even hear a line open. All right, let me put a mic on hold Let's see what happens here if I do that. Hello, Jim. No, no, that's not Jim. But that was a deadline, so I know the audio is there. So that Jim must have muted us. Jim, are you there? Well, I can hear you. Oh, I can hear you now, too, Jim. And we're out of time. Okay. No, I'm kidding. You got about a minute. Uh, once you get north of I-85, there is no mask mandate. Well, once you get outside of... Uh, Mecklenburg County, there's no mask mandate either. Well, that's true, but I, there hasn't been a mask mandate in Cornelius Huntersville and Davidson in, I don't know, three, four months. Well, there, there may be a, the mandate is countywide. Now, the enforcement, I get your point, the enforcement is not occurring. And that's to the great lamentations of the Charlotte Observer. Uh, they would very much like to see more enforcement. They like even uh, point out, like, you know, you can call the cops on these people, but nobody is sure doing can. so. Yeah, the 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 Davison, the on police are going to run right over and <laughs> yell at you if you don't put your mask on. <laughs> yeah, Jim, I appreciate no. the call. Yeah, no, it's you it, know you go outside like we we go outside. We were in Belmont. Yeah, there no mask mandate. It's like it's it just it's everywhere else has moved on. This gets back to my original. Uh, topic in the first hour when I was talking about media and I was talking about the uh, the insular nature now of the profession. this is another example of it, right? These stories simply don't register. and that's why I feel it you know my cross to bear here uh, like I'm trying to help be the shepherd for some of these journalists. They're just lost and they don't know the way through the valley of darkness. So I'm trying my best. All right, that's it for this show. That's it for today's episode. Hey, we'll catch you tomorrow. Stick around. Brett Winterbill coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. (laughs)